episode one. Let's get into it. A little inspo, a little convo, 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 convo conversation and inspiration. Conversation. Yes, this is the Convo and Inspo podcast, and I'm your host, Malika Jules. This is episode one, and I'm so excited to be here with you guys today. Fun fact, this conversation with Janata Petrus Nash was recorded about a year ago. I would say, yeah, March 2020. Originally, I was supposed to be interviewing her in the studios of UCB in Hollywood, but as you know, boom, March 2020, the world shut down. So my girl Janata had to stay in Minneapolis and I was here in LA in my home studio where we talked over Zoom. Now, this was that time in quarantine where things were still really peaceful, you know, um, violence in the streets by our police officers hadn't gone ablaze like they did a few weeks later with the killing of George Floyd. And so because there, there was this brief moment of peace at the beginning of quarantine, that peace is what kind of stretches throughout the energy of this conversation. We're just talking about creativity. We're talking about our days in New York. Me and Janata go way back to my days when I was an MC on the underground of New York City and when she was a youth worker and aerialist in the streets of Brooklyn. I'm so excited to talk with her today about her journey and that winding journey of creativity that led her to become the youth adult novelist that she is today. We're going to discuss her book, The Stars and the Blackness Between Them, and in our section of The Higher Octave, we look back at Janetta's journey and ask her what's something that she thought wasn't too good for her but turned out to be great. That's in our section called The Higher Octave. Thanks so much for tuning in. And now we're going to get into the conversation with Janetta Petrus. Janata, I am so happy to be talking to you today. Um, you know, I guess, I guess, mutually, it's hella mutual, friends. It's hella mutual. Listeners should know that we do go way back. Okay, mm-hmm. um, back to our Brooklyn days. Back to our Brooklyn days, and my, <laughs> for me, I'm so proud of you because you have just written this amazing um, YA novel. Uh, the stars mm-hmm. and the blackness between them, which, by the way, um, I love reading right now because it literally transports me out of my apartment to like places I've never been. Trinidad and Tobago. I'm in Minneapolis. Oh my gosh. You know, yes, I'm baby. in these <laughs> Trini places and I'm loving it. And um, what I, what I, you know, so I love that, but then you have this astrological aspect and these beautiful poems. You know, what is it that attracted you to astrology? You know, how did you go about studying it and incorporating it? Why did you choose to incorporate it in your book? Oh, that's such a good question. I think like in the context of writing the book, part of it is like, you know, there's things that are like kind of transmissions. Like all of a sudden you're like, okay, like this is a thing that needs to be a part of this work. And there's also things that like are transmissions that like help with the actual plot movement of it, you know, and just the emotional, like sort of spiritual moving of making a book. So I feel like astrology I've always been obsessed with since I've been very young. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've always like appreciated the not the discipline but the like structure of it like it's a tender natural rhythmic structure you know so like for me when you know I was not able to get down with religions or kind of like certain ways of understanding certain religious you know thought that I was also attracted to because I've always been interested in spirituality and the divine you know astrology for me was kind of like this obvious sort of like science as a young or and art as a young person so anyhow like in writing the book so much of it was like what are the things that I want young people to be connected to um and to understand um as well as like you know astrology in in the in the um function of the book also becomes a function of the storytelling um 
So yeah, so those are like all of the reasons. And I just love nerding out about astrology because it's just like, oh my gosh, so much, so much. Well, it's fun to nerd out to. And mm-hmm. more, it's like the more you know, the more you know. It's very, I mean, for me, like your book is bold, writing YA is bold. But let me tell you really, when I thought about this, I was like, you know where I identified Janata's boldness? Mm-hmm. It was in the moment you decided to leave New York. Mm-hmm. When you left, and was that like 07, 08? Well, 2010. It was 2010. Okay, 2010. So like yeah. when you left New York, because I left two years later, and I think when you leave New York, or when especially artists, especially Black artists, when we leave New York, the fear is, oh my God, what is it going to be like? Mm-hmm. out here in these streets i wondered like did you have any fears when you left new york you know why exactly did you leave new york and i'm asking you that because i i what i learned well, what i saw unfold for you after you left was amazing mm-hmm. <laughs> and so yeah. let's, let's talk about that i i think that's so real i think like new york is such a like oh uh, like if we talk about like almost like the pressure that makes diamonds or the pressure that makes pearls yeah. and not in all of the like sort of straight up ways i think it's like a space that's so intense that it really it's almost like a force to look inside of yourself and be with yourself um and i come from a very big very tight-knit caribbean family in the midwest Mm -hmm. um and in some ways like i think there was aspects of dysfunction that like overshadowed my ability to be who i was um and i and i think like a lot of my move to new york was very intuitive very like kind of happened sort of spontaneously in a lot of ways um but when i moved back i i remember like the visit home that i had before i returned back home um and i just remember like man just how much sky minneapolis had you mm-hmm. know like i remember i was just like oh just the, like something about the like the space of it all yeah um and i feel like you know at that time i had made a sort of quiet commitment that like either i was gonna be an artist or fail being an artist or feel or fail trying you know like Mm. um either way that's what i was gonna pursue and i felt like with my life in new york Mm -hmm. um so much of new york is surviving to be in new york unless you got money from somewhere to just let you kick it you know like so much of being in new york is the maintenance of being in new york you know so and uh, yeah living for the city stevie wonder tori and brother Taurus season. Um, And it truly is. So I feel like for me, like it was a time where I felt ready to return home and had been like strengthened in a way with New York and had started studying circus at that time. So like there was sort of this like whole new world that had opened for me where I was like, yo, like I'm loving circus. I'm loving being an aerialist. Um, And I like came back to Minneapolis with like all this swag and like all of this focus that like in this spaciousness. I was gonna like focus on my artistry, you know? So like, I do feel like um, I just was hyper committed. And I do think like New York offers a rigor of life. It's like training for a marathon every single day. (laughs) For me, I call it, it's boot camp. Yes, totally. It's like, yeah, you make it there, you can actually make it anywhere. Yeah, yeah, especially like if you believe in yourself, you know, like I think that, so anyhow, like, I, I, I totally am so grateful to my experience in New York because it introduced me to people like you, um, to people like Russell, yes, yes. Um, to like, I mean, so many artists, like artists who were on Broadway, people right. who were on movies, people, yeah. you know what I mean? Because yes. the thing about it is like, these are people who also shop at your grocery store, who also exactly. is in your yoga class. Like, yes. it's like kind of, you know, not this melting pot, but li- literally it kind of like is a tapestry of all kinds of souls. And it also, I think, reveal to me like the backside of the industry of art that like I'd never been exposed to necessarily in Minneapolis. And I think it really was beginning, the beginning of the time to demystify what an artist was, is that like artists is just people who activate their truth in an expressive way in community, you know, so. I love that. I love that. Artists activating, expressing, I'm like, what? Yes. And and this is why this is why I'm so this is why I'm so happy to be talking to you because yeah it's like all of a sudden you were doing like you were aerialist and I was like wait Janata's an aerialist and then it was like Janata kept changing and morphing and everything you did was so dope I was like oh my god look at Janata like I was like yo I remember thinking I was like wow Minneapolis being good to her like wow she's really blooming out there 
it which is like which to me was almost was just great to see man i can't wait till you visit minneapolis i can't wait i miss you i feel like i mean i know i mean prince is from minneapolis so that's like enough said um yeah and i think like there's a certain kind of ethos of artistry that's so peculiar and i mean i think that's like with every city i feel like you know new york and la being like um movie and motion picture spaces i think really sort of give like a global sense of those like hyper small you know communities and a lot especially with Easter Ray. i was looking at yeah. insecure recently yeah. you know and i was just like i'm so glad she's showing this side of la and there's yeah. still like a bit of like right. bouginess to right. it right. but i'm not mad at it like right. i don't see black people doing that in my you know and then there's people like Issa Rae, who reminds right. me a lot of sisters like you where you're like yo they're like love community they're creating art in this really like anyhow so i do think like as artists makers Mm -hmm. and awkward weird black girls who do weird shit like circus and like Mm -hmm. you know cosmic transmissions via rap (laughs) all day all day just like (laughs) and make it silly and make it free and make it like yeah this is our ancestors weren't these stoic no. people in the fields like we right. was fucking shucking and jiving nigga right and, you know what i mean and it's like it's this anyways i feel like um, i don't even remember the question but no, minneapolis I, is great you know i would love i can't wait to have you here janata you are a storyteller and mm-hmm. you are a strong storyteller in like in various mediums you know um from what i understand you've written some plays honey mm-hmm from what I understand, honey, you, uh, I'm seeing filmmaker, okay? You know, a little something, a little something. I'm seeing book. Um, and so, which I love. I think there are so many people out there who, like, want to write a play, want to mm. write a book, want to make a film. And I think as creators, we sometimes feel prematurely, especially, that we have to choose. Oh. Um, I am a person who writes a book. I am a person who makes a film. I, you know... How is it that you are able to switch your your the, your form? You know, you seem to switch with ease. You know, how how is it that you knew that this project should be a play, that project should be a book? You know, give us a little insight. Gosh, that's I love your questions, Malika. Um, <laughs> I think for me, it's like I think like I I think that's sort of the beauty of not feeling like. Besides writing, excuse me, I'm drinking this bubbly water and it's like pop, pip, pip, pop, pop all over my throat and on my mouth. I know, but it feels so good right now. Um, That's what matters. (laughs) Yeah, like I think for me, um, I was practicing art without thinking about it. Like as a kid, I was like a band geek. Mm -hmm. I used to love writing like emo poetry. I used to love dancing. You know, like there was always a part of me that just, but I never felt like, ooh, I can be a professional writer. Ooh, I could be a professional dancer. Like I always kind of didn't have this sense of confidence to pursue it. Yeah. And then I think what happened, it was interesting when I moved to New York, um, what the job that brought me to New York was working with Alvin Ailey, mm. um, their dance camp. I was teaching young. So A, I was like shocked that me as a Minneapolis girl, mm-hmm. Like a friend of mine recommended me, Nefri Ameni, mm-hmm. um, and she had done it the year before and like had like referenced me as a person for them to interview and I got the gig and I was like, okay. So like I was in New York and I was like around taking all these dance classes. I was like living in Harlem and working in Harlem. Um, I was around all these black people. I would go to these like African dance classes that would be free in Harlem. And you know, there was just like all of these ways that like artistry, I just had so much like uh, just connection to it. And, and like, I lived within it without it being a barrier. Although there were still all these people who were like, like I was working with a woman who traveled with Cap Calloway in college and, you know, was a tap dancer and just like, was like all of the people I worked with were these amazing dancers and creators in New York. And I felt so insecure. Mm-hmm. I was just like, man, oh my God, talk about imposter syndrome, like enough to make you choke on your like wake up in anxiety right um but something about me i don't know what it is i mean i really do feel like there's like ancestors literally pulling me out of my anxiety into the world so that i know that like i don't have to ask the world permission to be in love with it to be in bliss with it you know um 
So I think like, you know, circus was kind of an interesting sort of shift in my life because as you know, I was like a youth worker and I was um, teaching like urban gardening and farm and I'm cooking and vegetarian cooking and doing yoga and was like sort of like this hippie Minnesotan Midwestern, like, you know, youth worker in Harlem. And these kids are like- She also grows her own food, y'all, in addition to everything else. I mean, I know, but I need to start growing it now. I've been taking, because literally, like, that's the thing I also want to share. Like, as an art, a thing is that, like, I feel like there's times in my life that were the focus of certain things. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I feel like in New York was my time where I spent, a, I lived by myself. Right. You know, I spent a lot of time with myself. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I like was study meditation and these like black and brown, like all of these art, like all of the artists, you know how in New York, like a lot of, <laughs> so deep, so many artists, black artists in New York are like practitioners of some spiritual, you know, like, uh, affiliation you know like so whether it's like yoruba whether it's buddhism whether it's like like long day tantric like you know there's so many things like people are not just creators in the world but they're also like activators of like spiritual work you know so anyhow like i feel like when i started um just that time in my life i was like like very much with the earth it was wild because i'd be like new york is so hyper urban it's like been urban for so long yeah that um I really got to appreciate nature in a certain way. And I really, you know, called the kids that I work with to be like, yeah, yeah, I know these rats running up and down these streets, y'all. Golly, I know there's rats running up and down these streets. Mm-hmm. But we're going to plant these seeds. Mm-hmm. There are going to be tomatoes. There's going to be peaches. There's going to be like peppers. We're going to be basil. And that this is stuff that nourishes us. You know what I mean? And like so many dope, like black and brown educators and creatives and stuff I worked with. Um, from like New York, Dominican Republic, you know, all over the world. Um, so anyways, I'm getting to the point. Um, so I feel like all of these were like things that like was nourishing me in a way and like downloading my spiritual like sort of vision so that like when I started studying circus and like literally was swinging from like, you know, ropes in the air doing acrobatics. And I didn't grow up doing shit like that. Like I love to dance and I like ran track for a a year my freshman year and then I was like I'm a band geek fuck that shit I gotta focus on this heavy ass tuba I gotta run up and down these streets um but yeah I used to play tuba in high school (laughs) because I used to I used to play saxophone and clarinet um in junior high and then when I got to um high school it was like 25 flutes 20 clarinetists and like one tuba player and they were like hey any of y'all woodwinds want to slide over to the brass section i was like i don't play the sousaphone i don't play the tuba kind of as a joke and challenge to myself yeah. i fall ass backwards into things because i just be like whatever you yeah. know what i mean i'm like Ugh, and then i'm like yeah. okay and that was kind of like circus to me i was like yo like i met this sister on the train one day i think we were flirting when i was just like such a repressed gay person that i was just like oh she looks cool <laughs> and then um <laughs> and then um when she left the train she gave me her card and she's like this is what i do and it was like her like wrapped up in this yellow silk like bent like arch backward like a mermaid in the air it was so beautiful and i was like oh so I like remember that day I like went back to work and I was like, y'all, look at this, this acrobatic circle. Who wants to do this with me? And people were like, nobody was interested. I was like, what? Nobody wants to do this shit with me? Okay, I'm going. We're coming to show though. I know. But then I remember going to my first class and it was like the hardest thing I'd ever done. Like, oh my gosh. I like got only like a foot off the ground and it was terrifying, girl. I was like, oh, oh, just like scared. Like I was gonna fall a foot off the ground and die. It was so crazy. Just the fear, like even though you ain't gonna get hurt, you're just so afraid because all of this has been absorbed in us, you know? Yes. And um, I remember there was a person in class who literally like for the warm ups, what they'd have us do is you would climb the rope to the top of the ceiling and then like invert upside down and slide down. Like that's for the people who'd been studying for a while. Like that's the warm up. Like you just, cause mainly you're climbing the rope and strengthening yourself that like you could just be up there for minutes. You know what I'm saying? So part of that is the climb. The climb is the most exhausting part, you know, and to be able to hold yourself up there and do tricks. 
So I remember that first class and seeing like this girl, like just climb, zoop and like slide down. And I was like, damn. And like my warm up was like, yo, just hold on to the rope and lift your knees up. Like that was the warm up for me. And I remember I was like, yo, I can't wait till the day that I can do that shit, you know? And then sure enough, like within like a year and a half, like I was able to do that warm up. Like that would be my warm up. And I just remember how like fucking built and strong I felt and like yeah. how connected to the ancestors I felt. Cause I was like, yo, like I was thinking about lynching and like our black bodies in space mm-hmm. has at times often meant violence on our bodies, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. So like doing aerial was like this reclamation and like all of the stories that came to me, you know, through the fact that I was, flying in the air, you know, and being around other black and brown circus artists. I mean, there was a lot of, you know, white folks mainly, but like I'd gotten clicked up with this like, you know, ragtag team of like black and brown aerialists in um, New York City. So I just think like that also, once you're hanging in the air, dozens of feet above the fucking ground and you're just like, I'm fucking doing this shit. I'm fucking doing this shit. It's really hard to feel afraid of anything else (laughs) and say no to anything else. I'm just like, yo, like everything has shown a possibility. So yeah, I think like, thankfully, I thank God for circus. I thank God for writing. I thank God for black art, you know, all kinds of art, honestly. Do you feel that like, so it's like, and I mean, your creativity is, is clearly ongoing, but here we are at this particular moment in time where you do have this like published novel, right? Mm-hmm. Do you feel that like getting to that point of having a completed novel, do you feel that like, you know, your time as an aerialist, your time as a youth worker, your time in the garden, do you feel like that was all part of the path to get to this, you know, and beyond? I feel like it's both and I feel like it certainly totally is what brought me here. Yeah. Like, I didn't even realize it, but it was bringing me here. Mm -hmm. And I think also in and of itself, it's like, wow, like, even if those things didn't bring me here, I'm like, wow, like, they, in the moment, shaped so much about myself. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, how, I think you could probably say the same thing, too. It's kind of like you being a rapper, you know what I mean? Totally, you know, as you shared, has brought you to this, like, place of, like, comic and like comedic writer that you were always kind of on a trajectory but also in and of itself there were like this interesting meditations of like yo like this is part of who I am yes um but it is a thing where I'm like you know I'm I'm grateful in some ways because as much as like I'm glad I was a late bloomer and understanding that I was an artist because I think or I don't know I think it's all relative right like think about it like there's I think about Maya Angelou, I think about like Toni Morrison, and you and I were talking about this. Yep. You were talking about, who are you talking about? Phyllis Dillard? Phyllis Dillard. Oh yeah, Phyllis Dillard started in the game at like 35, 37, and, and I was 35 when I started comedy. And mm-hmm. that's when you, so like when you say you're so happy that you, like you were a late bloomer, that's how I feel too. It's like, yeah. because now that I'm in my, my late 30s, like I have the discipline. I'm all for late bloom, honey. I'm here for it. But you know, oh, another thing I wanted to say though, and I got this from a friend and just like, as far as people who are like multi-dimensional, multi-genre artists, mm-hmm. there's going to be some times where you're nurturing some art forms more than others. Like when I was training Ariel, it would be like three times a week. I'm studying for an hour or so, like climbing ropes, yeah. you know, going over routines, yeah. studying over notes. Like I couldn't do that and write as many hours as I write and be in a marriage and help raise a kid. Um, and also like embark on other things such as, you know, developing film stuff. And, and, you know, like there was a time in my life where I did so much stuff with puppets, like, <laughs> like that was like a big part of my work. And I still do that a lot. Like I'm adjacent to it and I'm doing more projects, but I do think like there's times because like there's people who they really focus on music or they really focus on circus. So as far as at times I would be critical to myself and like, damn, like I'm not that thing as much as this other person is that thing because of the ways that I am also doing these other things. Mm -hmm. So I think like I've really had to like focus on being kind to myself around the variety of ways that I'm meant to like transmit spiritual divine essence and joy and bliss is like, yeah, like I think that there's 
ways that I'm being used in my ministry is circus. Sometimes it's puppetry. And I think like in the young adult realm, I do feel like, you know, I'm so glad that as a person who's thinking about young adults, like healed so much and been intentional around healing aspects of my young adult experience through the experience of writing books and also having young people, having had the experience of young people sort of remind me of the sort of, I don't know, like I would say like the sacredness Mm -hmm. of, you know, ancestry that exists in youth. Because I do feel like young people really are connected to ancestors on a whole other level than, you know, we are when we're older, you know, and when we're much older. Oh yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that I loved about your book is like, the the teenage dialogue of it all like i was like oh my god i was like that's how they talk i'm like that's how i sounded with that attitude like and it's like once again you know because i i had known your background as a youth worker i was like this woman must have been studying these kids because and i didn't even know it i just love yeah. i just love how young people of all you know whatever your generation of young people is we just so you just there's something about how we talk yeah like we trust and lean and rock slang like nobody's business like when you're in your 30s you don't slang it out i mean there's some niggas who right you know i mean i still talk majority like slang and shit like that obviously but when you're young like they're the ones who create it you know and popularize it oh yeah i mean it's like the attitude (laughs) it's like the attitude that you know everything but then the wonder of the world that is so new to you. Mm-hmm. That's young people. I know everything, but also like everything is amazing. And it's like, <laughs> totally. it's, like <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a spirit that is just that of youth. And it's like, you, it just eventually kind of like matures into something else, you know, as we, as we go with our time on earth. So for me, I was so refreshed to, I was back in the mind of a teenager and I was like, oh my God, I remember how I just didn't care, how I wanted to just do what I wanted to do. And I didn't care if it was right for me. And I questioned all of your things in this. And, and that was oh so refreshing to see from, from black women, you know, it was refreshing for me to see from Caribbean. Yes. Um, I was just like, I was reading characters that I had never read before, but they were people that I had met before. So, Talk about it. You know, I saw, it's like, we grew up on, like, Babysitter Club, and we grew up on a certain type of YA Yeah, right? thank you. Know, and, like, you know, I love me some Babysitter Club. You know, I, I was here mm-hmm. for Babysitter Club. I was all about that. But but at the same time, I once I, as a young person, was, get, you know, getting into my own spirituality and my own things, which was really what's happening around 15 years old. Mm-hmm. I remember, like, there, it's like there weren't, like... I wasn't into Babysitter Club anymore. And then it's like, I would read like Eric Jerome Dickey or like, you know, mm-hmm. Shaneska Jackson was like, what I love Shaneska Jackson is like from LA. Like she's like a, like a local um, author, but she'd be writing like grown woman stuff. And they What's her like name? Shaneska Jackson. Okay. She has this um, book, I think it's called Little Mama's Rules. It's mm. not really, man. It's like something you don't read when you're 15. Like, that's like what I read. Listen, talk about it. I read like V.C. Andrews. I was talking about V.C. Andrews and Anne Rice. Right. Like, just looking for some sexy bits. Right. 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 And it, so I think it's from vampires. Yeah, yeah, fuck it. There's. It's like YA is a whole new vibe right now. It's not what mm-hmm. it was when we were coming up. Like YA, like the depth, the quality of writing, for example. Mm-hmm. When, like when I read your book, once again, the quality of writing is that of an adult novel. You know, the quality of writing, it's not like, let me dumb this down so they understand. You know, we're getting beautiful imagery. You know, we're getting, we're getting fierce dialogue. We're getting like, we're getting all, we're learning, you know, like we're getting educated. You know, we're getting diverse character, you know, and setting. <laughs> so it's like, I'm reading it and I'm like, wow, like how amazing would it be um, to come across something like this? you know, as a 16 year old girl, um, you know, and I, I got your book from the library and as you can, you and Oh, thank you, friend. I love, oh my gosh. It like sometimes always like really makes my heart happy to be like, I have something in the library because the library's raised me. And they also have your audio book, honey, just, just so you know. Okay. Oh my gosh. You should listen to the audio book. Okay. So there's this woman, um, 
Bonnie Turpin, who's like the Angela Bassett of audiobooks, Amazing. is like, um, like she's done Children of Blood and Bone. She's done like everything. And she does the um, Audrey sections and the Queenie sections. And the way she does speak. And this is so cute. I have to listen to the audiobook. Yeah, a lot of people love it. And I read Mabel. So it's kind of like people are like, oh, Janata, you know, you did a good job. But like, that's the fun part about being an author because like, if you love books the way we love books, it feels so good to be like, oh my gosh, like, I feel like so sacred. Like I, I mean, I think about Judy Bloom often and like S.E. Hinton, who are both, you know, white writers. And I think of like, obviously, Toni Morrison and Alice Walker and like these black, you know, feminist writers too, um, who also I feel like, you know, the bluest eye as well as the color purple Mm -hmm. are kind of YA novels in that like the characters start at ages that are like 16 and 12 and things like that. And that's why um, them in school. They, they give them to us as if they are YA novels. Almost. Right. And I think Judy Bloom. what I loved about um, her work, I think, growing up, was that it wanted to talk about emotional things. Mm-hmm. Like, as a kid, like, I liked YA that was like, like, there's this one um, book I used to like. It, it wasn't YA. It was like middle um, age. Um, the Mixed Up Files of Mrs or Basil E. Frank Weiler. Oh, yeah. And it was, like, where the kids, like, you know, stayed in the um, museum and, like, got coins out of the fountain and would sleep in the queen's bed at night. I forgot why they ran away. It was, like, some first world problems because these kids was, like, from the Upper West Side or some shit. But, like, I love shit where I was, like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, we're doing some sneaky... It's just, like, weird, like, experimental. Like, I like Roald Dahl. Like, so I think so much of, like, writing this book, like, is also, like, I've studied so many books unbeknownst to me. Right. You know what I mean? Um, And I love poetry and I love, you know, books with like structures in them and, you know, things that play, things that like move in time. Um, So yeah. Oh, thank God for books. Right. Thank God for books and libraries. I mean, it's like, it's like once again, in this time and space where we literally have all 24 hours to ourselves, like, I was like, okay. I was like, hmm. I was like, now's a great time to read my friend's book. And as I sat, I sat, sit on my balcony in the sun. I'm reading it. I'm with and, you. I'm with you. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm, I got my feet up. The sun is shining. I'm on, I'm on the balcony. I look up. 40 minutes have passed. I'm looking like, wait, was I, I was just on the beach in Trinidad. Like, I'm like, wait, mm. the, the, the way reading transports you, not the way that, and as much as I love video and Netflix, it's not the same sort of transport. Like, it's like I was taken out of my reality, which was a great help for this current time. Like, I was like, mm-hmm. wow, I got to dip out really quickly. And I mean, for me, that's just a testament to your storytelling skills and your writing skills, which like, honestly, just... As your friend, I was like feeling proud. I was like, oh my God, this book. And that means a lot because y'all, man, Malaika got bars on bars on bars and bars on bars, man. Oh my God. And it means a lot. Like there's like some true heads, artists who I deeply respect, Mm -hmm. who have shown me love, who have shown me love. And you, you know, just kind of A, taking the time to read the book and B, being like, yo, sis, mm, mm, that. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like good art makes the world better. I feel like good art makes life easier. I feel like good art is is health. Um, I feel like art is the lifeblood of our planet and of humans and of spirit. So for me, like I am passionate about art. I take art seriously. I nerd mm-hmm. out on art. And when I love, when I come across good art, I I'm completely like luxuriating in it because because it's luxurious to me. You know, and so I'm, it's like, for me, <laughs> I was, it was, it was to know you, to know that it's like, I just felt like it was a full circle moment to go from being in New York, searching for yourself, being a poet, being an aerialist, doing community work, putting on plays. And then it's like, boom, here we have this document, <laughs> this book <laughs> that I think will be a treasure for like for years and generations to come, you know? Mm. Um, Thank you, baby. This is the question that I have for, especially for people that are listening that are just, that for them, maybe the idea of writing a book is so daunting. How Mm -hmm. do you get, like, what's that alchemy between 
creativity and deadline. You know, like what's the bridge? Mm-hmm. <laughs> How do we get that? Yeah, I think what's beautiful is that like, like with, uh, like if capitalism wasn't around and we could just do our thing, mm-hmm. these wouldn't be questions. These are, you know, things that are in our spirits to create, you know? So I really feel like I tried to find that space of being like, yo, like this is just a book that I want to have come to me. I had a great editor who wouldn't sweat me, but like, you know, if it'd be like, I mean, he wouldn't sweat me the first week after the deadline. Like he would be cool because he knew I was good for it. You know, I think that was also the thing is that like editors, what I realized, or at least the experience I had is just the person to be like, hold you accountable to your dream for your work. Yeah. You know what I mean? And f- help you connect the dots that you're already putting out there. You know what I'm saying? So I think for me, like what I committed to was that I would just try to spend a lot of time writing. And if it wasn't coming, I wouldn't force it. I would do something else. And that's what the astro- astrology poems came about. Because I was like, shit, I'll write some poetries about poetries. I always say that word. Poetry. <laughs> some of y'all my poetries i know um so um my poetry so i would write the astrology poetries um as a way of being like all right i'm not gonna force this thing like there needs to be something like that like i would take a walk i would have a conversation like i was working um (laughs) with these beautiful black children um over in saint east saint paul who, um, you know, were kids who like had to be a part of this program. I don't know if it was because they had truancy issues or what, but these were like the most beautiful, vibrant black kids. And what they, like, it was kind of a gift because I like quit working education mainly um, and have been doing more art. But then I got this opportunity um, through a friend of mine to like work with these kids. She's like, could you come and teach some puppet stuff? and some art shit and I'm and Afro and I was like yeah I'll make it about Afrofuturism and yeah. we could just talk about shit yeah. uh, which is just how I do it I was like all right cool yeah hire me is whatever I'm coming through as these little kids auntie yo these big sister mm-hmm. and just like sharing things so I love seeing how fluid sexually the girls were the boys I couldn't really tell but boys are so beautiful you know what I mean like they're so free yeah like the character of Terrell who like one of the characters um like first little boyfriend Mm -hmm. he just reminds me of that like sweet black boy who's just like yeah he's just figuring it out too and he just like likes people likes girls likes Mabel and I think like you know I had me like you know because I'm also like was always a unique kid and I don't think I was the girl that people was trying to kick it to especially right. in minneapolis like yeah. people were certainly color struck oh, yeah. um but i remember it'd be like the light-skinned boys that always like me you um, know what i mean and they'd always be like um and i don't know terrell wasn't light-skinned though yeah. um <laughs> but i remember like it just would be like somebody who yeah would just be awkward and weird in their own way you know yeah yeah um yeah so i feel like it's like yeah like there's all kinds of black boys, you know, of all kinds of, you know, vibes and like, you know, thicknesses and complexions and like gender expressions and, you know what I mean? Like for me, it's like, I really wanted to create a a variety of black kids and black expression that wasn't like tropish. And I really would check myself and be like, yo, like, are there things um, that are making, yeah, like that are making blackness small to black kids. Mm-hmm. Is it all about the oppression? Like, of course, to talk about blackness isn't to exclude the fact that blackness exists in an anti-black existence. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like, we have to include that. But like, I also feel like there's so much like magic and inherent like depth in blackness, you know, that young people, um, should get to explore in the ways that I explored it um, via like the color purple, you know, and just being like, and it'd be in the South, but here you have like, you know, these juke joints, here you have like these people and all these kind of sexual relationships and being with this woman and they baby mama died or they baby mama left them. And this is, the, you know what I mean? Like, this is real black shit. Like, this is the stuff we go through, you know, but we're also so beautiful and like glittery and mm-hmm. sacred, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What has this book taught you, you know, about yourself? That I could do things that I didn't know 
Like I knew hypothetically a book was within me, but actually putting out a book lets me know I could put out books. Yeah. You know, because I think um, in my Shondo, um, I really did truly feel like I'm an artist, but I always kind of like was afraid to live into that reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and the book is to me also like has broken me into an opportunity of like, I'm working on my second book now, which I'm just like, I have like this time around, I'm like, oh yeah, I can write books. And I'm also friends with other people who are, um, who are, whatchamacallit, writers, mm-hmm. who are young adult writers, who are black young adult writers, mm-hmm. um, and um, Brown, like um, Gabby Rivera and Nick Stone, um, um, Candice Illo. Mm-hmm. There's like all of these cool, um, you know, Tomi Adeyemi, yeah. um, Elizabeth Acevedo, Jason Reynolds. Like there's so many dope down, yeah. cool. And like, and there's so many more. Like, I feel like I'm so grateful to be a young adult writer. Cause I think like, I also thought I would be a novelist for adults. Cause like so many of the books I think we read growing up were like adult fiction, like the ones that I really fell in love with, like Toni Morrison. It was like, I mean, majority was adult fiction, but her first book was a YA novel, essentially. Um, That's true. I never thought about it like that, but you're 100% correct. Because don't think if you blew aside to read in like seventh grade. Yeah. You know, you read that in like seventh, eighth grade, if your school is worth a damn. (laughs) You know, they're going to give you that. school is worth a damn. If your school is worth a damn, you might have got Song of Solomon in the Mm -hmm. high school, you know. Yeah. It was really about it. You know. Oh my gosh. You wanna hear something crazy? This is like uh my childhood, yo. So my mom had like this like I don't know if it was a nervous breakdown or a nervous breakthrough. Let's call it a nervous breakthrough. Mm-hmm. She decided to move me and my sisters down to Florida, to my like the Miami, like Fort Lauderdale area. Mm-hmm. Like my dad, he'd been out here hauling, having kids on the side, and she was like tired of seeing the bullshit so she like just like was like sold our house mm-hmm. and moved to florida and um i remember being there and like i couldn't get into school right away mm-hmm. so girl me and my mom would go to the library because she's also a bookhead mm-hmm. and just like i would clean it out of like you know langston hughes mm-hmm. um Zora Neale hurston um tony morrison like all of the greats like i would just read them shits girl like brr, brr, mm-hmm. right Mm-hmm. Um, and be up to like 6 a.m. Like I just had no schedule. And then me and my mom would go to the beach because we're both morning prep people. So yeah. we'd go to the beach. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so then um, <laughs> also too, that when we came back to Minneapolis, because we ended up moving back to Minneapolis, I couldn't get into school right away. Mm-hmm. So then I was um, put into this like alternative school. Mm-hmm. And girl, they was like, hey, you are way beyond any of these worksheets. Just read any book you want. I'd be like, all right. Richard Wright, <laughs> okay, James Baldwin. Like to me, it was like these kind of curated readings. Cause you're just like, it's all in the fucking books anyway. Right, is it's it? All in this college. Yeah. Most of the time. Uh-huh. Yep. Anyways, I'm so grateful. I'm just so grateful. So I'm so grateful all the books I got to read before social media. Uh, right. Took my brain out. Yeah, cause I mean, it, it makes it difficult to do. It's just, it takes our time that we would have used for possibly reading. So yeah. It, it's something that we have to make space for. I love that you love the library the way that I love the library. Like my my library experience was similar. Um, or, well, I would I used to get tutored in math because I'm dyslexic as hell, and I would meet mm-hmm. my math teacher at the library, and I'd be early. And that's how I found my favorite poets. I would just walk through the poetry. Mm. I, I love the poetry. I would just walk through and like whatever type. I I judged books by their cover. Like whatever type hey. was interesting. And that's how I found Sonia Sanchez because oh, it was called Homegirls and Hand Grenades. And mm. I'm, like, I'm like, wait, I say homegirls. So who's writing a book about homegirls? I was like, who that? And that's how I found Sonia Sanchez. I was like, what is this? So, you know. Can I tell you a quick Sonia Sanchez story? Absolutely. Because she's a Libra too, right? Is she? I'd love She's her. a Libra. I saw her at the Philly um, train station. And I was like, super like, oh my gosh, that's Sonia Sanchez. Because, you know, she literally has an aura. She does. 
She really does. Yeah, just like a vibe. Like she has like a, a smell of incense and tenderness. You know what I'm saying? She's a whole vibe. So anyways, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's Sonia Sanchez. And I was like, man, I have to go say hi to Sonia Sanchez or I'm going to regret it. Mm -hmm. And so anyways, like I walk up to her and like she's talking to somebody and like they finish talking and then right before, you know, right after she like comes up and I'm like, hey, you know, I want to tell you I'm a big fan of your work and your, you know, whatever. And she's like, yeah, baby, great. Um, hold on one second. I'm gonna get my ticket. Go have a seat right there. And then we could talk, you know? And then we just like chilled for like an hour and a half where she talked to me about gardening and talked to me about like, you know, all kinds of things about her son or her children. I don't remember now, but yeah. Yeah. To me, I was just like, wow, she's a, she's a regular person and she's an amazing soul. Okay, so I got this one last thing I want to do, right? It's called the higher octave. Higher octave is basically like, if you can think of a time in your life where you might have gotten some news that you didn't like, that was kind of like things didn't turn out the way you wanted, but after time, after a little bit of time, you saw that that was actually the perfect thing that happened. Mm-hmm. Like, so for me, when those things happen in my life, I call them like the higher octave, meaning like it just allows me to see it from like a kind of an aerial view. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so have you ever, whether it be in the process of doing your book or any of your other creative projects or just being a person in the world, you know, has there been a time where, you know, you thought something turned out not in your favor, but you realized way after the fact that actually it was like great that it happened the way it happened? Yes. Oh my gosh. What a great question. Hear me. Um, that's a great question. Um, the first thing that comes to my mind, and I think there are probably a couple others as well. Mm -hmm. Um, but the first thing that comes to my mind is, um, when like a huge friend group I had Mm -hmm. kind of just like, um, I don't know, like all these people left my life women who I'd felt very connected to and had created art with and all these kinds of things. And um, I was super devastated because just the way it happened felt kind of foul, you know, Um, and hurtful. Like I'm a sensitive person. Oh yeah. Cancer. Hey, love me or leave me. I know. know. That was true. Um, And um, yeah. So I feel like for me, like to me, it was, devastating at the time like it truly was um and then um what happened and then I was like oh my gosh there's I mean I feel like if that hadn't happened I wouldn't have had the time and the energy and the sense of like dignity because it also was a time where I asserted my dignity around like yeah like how do I want to be treated by people you know Like, I've been kind of a softy in a lot of ways, but I'm also, like, truly a warrior. Like, and I think there was a part of me that had to step into defending and loving on myself in a certain way that that experience provided me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it also made me be like, yeah, like, I had a hell of a lot of fake-ass niggas to be kicking it with. And I could be writing my book instead. Hmm. Talk about it. Somebody's here. Yeah, I think it's like, you know, there's a lot of people who will take up your time because they, yeah, you know, they may not love you. Like, be around people who truly love you. Connect with people. And doesn't mean you hang out with people every day. Doesn't And people who love you understand that you grind in and you're an artist. Right. You know what I'm saying? And they feel your love regardless if you're able to have the same amount of time yes. to give them. Right. But I do feel like there's people that, like, I think initially when I was, you know, moved back to Minneapolis and was like, you know, creating art is just like, you know, there sometimes can be currents of like, oh yeah, people aren't able to cheer you on or they have feelings about you that are coming out sideways. And it's so easy to internalize that. And it kind of is just distracting you. And I think, yeah, be around people that allow you to blossom in big, beautiful, bold ways. And if like, in your spirit, you don't feel like loved by that person or those people. Like it's okay to acknowledge them and give gratitude for what they were in your life. And, you know, 
cut that tie or release them in a way that me as a Cancerian, you know what I mean, at times struggle with. But I think like that sort of higher octave moment in my life was like, oh yeah, like I don't need to like accumulate people. Right. You know, it's like, I just need to be, I need to like cultivate and like um, curate my like intersections and engagements with people and not in a I think I used to think oh that's being bougie or that's not being bougie but being like you know who do I think I am or like I love everybody like I want to be whatever but but at the end of the day you just gonna be like listen you know what I mean like I only got so much Mm -hmm. time and energy Mm -hmm. for people and I spent a lot of time with people who like at the end of the day didn't love me but that taught me something too so I feel like you know um now I feel like all of the people who are in my vicinity are people who are like love seeing me win love supporting me who helped me sort of become a person that's less about comparison and competition because that shit ain't a part of our existence. Like we don't need to be at that vibration at all. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. This, I love that. I love that. I love that. It's like the loving release of people who no longer serve you and mm-hmm. feel free to cultivate and curate your crew. And that mm-hmm. is the higher octave from Janata Petrus. About you, where can my listeners find you, girl? Where can they find you? Your website, oh. all of that janada.com j-u-n-a-u-d-a.com and then there's also my instagram is janada my name j-u-n-a-u-d-a my twitter is janada j-u-n-a-u-d-a and yeah you all see the pattern (laughs) yeah exactly and you could um just google me and pop pop pippity pop yeah. <laughs> so cool to learn about Janata and her journey, right? So dope to listen to a conversation between creatives, you know? And hey, if you made it this far, <laughs> I think I love you. <laughs> so why don't you go ahead and follow me on social, on IG and Twitter, I'm Malika Jules. That's M-A-L-A-I-K-A-J-U-L-E-S. Until next time, stay inspired.